doesn't smile and doesn't frown. All he says is blow me down. Popeye, Popeye, what a sailor man. I don't quite know how to start a podcast. This is Popcasting, which is not a name I came up with. Uh, a Twitter friend came up with that. And if you, I forget who exactly re- came up with it, so if you'll remind me, I'll give you credit. Um, I am Troy Fullwood, better known as Popeye Otaku on Twitter. Sadly, I do not actually sound like. I don't actually sound like <laughs> this in my everyday life. I, I was will, really. I will happily use this to read Popeye's dialogue, though. Please, please do. <laughs> uh, and and if you will introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Betty Rocksteady. I am not quite as much of a Popeye fangirl, but I love all old cartoons and comics and stuff. So this mm. is uh, I thought this would be a really fun project to get on with you. Yeah, well, this this comic is worth it. Um, we're basically going to be going through the plot of the comic, uh, going back and forth and talking about it and our thoughts on it. And for this first story, I've got to get a bit of background out of the way, so this may take a minute. In December 19th, 1919, this rather unremarkable cartoonist named E.C. Cigar started a comic strip called Thimble Theater. And it wasn't really much. It was sort of a knockoff of another strip called Midget Movies with this melodrama parody featuring Olive Oil, Harold Hamgravy, and I forget who the bad guy was called. Um, this comic lasted this format for less than a month. January 1920, it changed to a sitcom-type format uh, in which the protagonist was Olive Oil's brother, Castor Oil. And it was sort of generally his Gickwitch quick squeams on with Ham Gravy, as he was renamed, who was Olive's boyfriend and Castor's friend. Um, it wasn't really much of a comic. Um, and there weren't really stories. There would just be like an excuse for gags for a couple weeks. Like, there was, in the mid-twenties, there was a few stories. There was one where Castor was trying to kill a chicken to cook for dinner, but the chicken kept escaping from him with various slapstick gags. There was a couple stories where Castor became a fighting manager, a boxing manager. And the first time, it was this little, rather familiar-looking short guy who couldn't fight very well because he was so puny-looking and lost the fight. Then Castor managed this big, tough, strong guy with one eye, who wasn't very smart and was ridiculously strong. But this guy only lasted a couple weeks. Uh, Once the story was done, he was gone. Then we get to the start of the reprints, uh, September 10th, 1928. It starts with a rehash of the earlier chicken story. Uh, We have Uncle Lubri Kent Oil, one of the many such-named oil relatives, stopping by with his African escape hen, the Wiffle Hen. And this part of the comic isn't really, it's very rough. Oh yeah, I definitely noticed a huge difference between, like I hadn't read any Popeye comics before mm-hmm. at all, so I noticed a huge difference between chapter one and the rest of the chapters. Yeah. And you're saying that was mostly based on the uh, the old ones, and you can definitely see a big jump in like the storytelling and the plot line after this first chapter. So yeah, 
Seagar at this time, he just sort of do a joke day in, day out in variations until it got old, and then he'd do the next joke. Um, but there is kind of an appeal to that style of writing. Later on, his stories would get a lot shorter and more succinct and to the point. Uh, but here, he really will explore all avenues of a part of the story before moving on, and it's a little, it's interesting. Yeah, you had called it uh, rambly, I think, before, and I definitely, yeah, I noticed it's, that. It's very, this story is very rambly. Um, not a lot of good structure to it. Um, the drawings are great, though. I love this style well, of drawing. It gets it gets better as it goes on. Seagard did not start out as very... T- a couple years after this story, this strip gets, like, really good. This is when it starts to get good. I just... I really have a lot of respect for um, this kind of, like, when you're working in such a small format, keeping mm. everything bold and clear so it's understandable. I just think it's really cool. Well, it, it's interesting. Um, it's a lot more detailed than a lot of comic strip art today. Yeah. So the the essentially what's happening is uh, at first is like like two weeks of gags where Uncle Kent bets Caster some money that Caster can't possibly catch Bernice and she'll just escape from anything and it's just the same joke day in and day out and then it gets to Caster he bets him that Caster can't kill Bernice. And it just goes on and on with the same sorts of gags. But what's interesting about it is that, like, we think today of, like, Looney Tunes from, like, the 40s being, like, old. But this is Looney Tunes-type humor 20 oh, years earlier. The, already, by by this point in, like, 1928, these types of gags were old cartoon gags. Yeah, so it all just kind of started from here, these early... I don't know, there's so much influence in cartooning now, and even in the older Looney Tunes stuff from these really early ones that people forget about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's very interesting how the whole thing developed. So the, the trying to kill Bernice goes on, let's see, one, two, three, four, five weeks of this. <laughs> it's which a was lot, yeah. very ambitious for Seagar's storytelling at this time. And then Uncle Lubricant leaves... Except that Bernice thought Caster was playing with her. So now she she won't leave him. And un- he, she's an escape hen. She can't possibly, he can't possibly cage her. So <laughs> now, now Caster's stuck with her when he's sick of looking at her. And this is when the comic starts to change. Yeah, now we get some plot line and like mystery and intrigue. I found it, it was really cool. Like they had introduced first the hen as being just like this weird kind of jokey thing, I mm. guess. It was just like a funny way to get uh, Caster Royal all frustrated and doing things. But now there's like more mystery behind her and uh, it's almost like an adventure story after that. Yeah. Well, then this is this is when it starts to have a plot. Because what happens is um, this, these two guys see Bernice and they offer, uh, they're like, How, I want to buy her right now. How much? And Cass is like, ah, 10 cents. And they're <laughs> like, he must be kidding. He must mean 10 million. And they keep offering him larger and larger sums of money. Again, the same joke done for a week. It ends up getting like $20,000, $30,000, $50,000, and more and more people are interested, and they're building up this big mystery of what is what is Bernice's secret? Why is she so valuable? And yeah, they're just falling all over themselves trying to give him the money. He doesn't even believe them, or they don't even give him a chance to accept it, really. They're so excited. Yeah, it gets to the point where they start threatening Caster's life. Then there's this bit where a mysterious woman shows up, clad in a black ghostly outfit uh very mysterious and yeah she's uh, all legs yeah all legs all legs the beautiful womanly legs and there's this there's this great gag where caster he tries to go up in a disguise and so he's dressed as some sort of foreigner 
And he's like, Why, sure, I don't you know? This very fine country, yeah, big town, ah, ain't that so senior, man, sorry, big guy, big hot dogs, giving enemy. It's like he, he's mixing up all these different foreigners. Yeah, it's very, it's a, it's obviously some kind of character, but it's very indistinct because yeah. it's so many things Well, sadly, sadly, the disguise does not work very well. Caster gets kidnapped by these two goons, and they're going to kill him in the shack out in the woods. It's suddenly, like, after the strip being, like, these dumb sitcom gags day in day out, suddenly this happens. It gets very dark, yeah. Um, they, they throw a knife at Caster, but it hits the rope they had him timed up with. There's this big fight at a cliffside, and I, I just have to have an aside here. What happened to all of these cliffs in the countryside you see in these old cartoons? <laughs> it seems like you can't go five minutes without meeting a hundred foot cliff. I've never seen any of these cliffs. It was a much cliffier world back in those mm. days. Um, there's this big back and forth. They're fighting on the cliff. They, they end up hitting Castor over the head really hard. He falls to the ground seemingly dead and they bury him. It, it's like, oh my gosh, how are they going to get out of this? <laughs> and he's under there like give me oxygen where's no, the air so he, like... he, he regains consciousness under the ground and they build because that's the thing about a comic strip back then, nowadays it's like three panels a day back then you could go up to six and so you can build that tension like you in, in a way you can't really with media today where you would see the goons like um what you know talking about what they're gonna do and then the last panel is caster like he, he's 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 regained consciousness can he possibly get out of this and you have to wait a whole day to find out the next little bit what a long time to carry on this plot line like were there a lot of newspaper strips around at the same time as this that would go on for this a long lot time? of well a lot of them would do story arcs and if you're doing six panels a day a story arc will take a long time um, yeah, because this must have been months and months. This, this whole is, I believe of... I counted the story up as about eight months. Later, they would get they got him down to about six months of Popeye story. That's a huge amount of time to be working on something. It is like, and would they be drawing it day by day too, or have it all um, finished first? Well, I'm not quite. I I don't know exactly how it worked. I know a little bit about how the actual physical cartooning went. I don't know how much of the story would be planned out at a given time. I suspect um, only a couple points of this story have been planned out. Um, a lot of it would be day to day. I think it's comparable to, the, to like Dragon Ball, where Dragon Ball, they never planned out anything. They come up with who the bad guy is, and then they make up the story as they went along. Here they might come up with like what the twist for Bernice was going to be, although I don't think they had that when she first showed up. And then they just sort of get the story in that direction. And see where it takes. And that's a cool way to work on something. Yeah. the These... These crooks think they've murdered Castor, and they're going back and forth. They're uh, they're getting they feel guilty. They're like, "Oh my gosh, what have we done? We killed a man. I didn't kill a man. You're the one who hit him." Oh no! Back and forth, and then very fortunately for us, the the county sheriff is out hunting near their shack. I love this dude. He's so goofy looking. He, well, he's a sheriff. He's got his sheriff mustache and his little polka dot shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love his polka dot shirt. It's, it's great, and his hunting rifle. And I'm like, how did gents got any drinking water? <laughs> uh, say, what's with your hand shaking like that, mister? It ain't sh- shaking, sheriff. And um, and it's great. It goes on. And then finally, finally, one of them, he, he runs up to the sheriff. He's like, I didn't kill him. I didn't do it. And the sheriff's like, say, did someone get killed? In utter terror, they end up running from the shack. They see Castor, who has miraculously dug himself out from underground, Decide they've seen a ghost and jump over to the cliff 
to their deaths. I love no, that. Yeah, I, that's I love dark. to see that in a modern com- comic strip. And like Blondie, if Blondie jumped off a cliff. <laughs> Just let them stay dead. Yeah, no, it was... Um, um, and this is, like, pre-code stuff, too, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I so, mean, this this comic is not all that child-appropriate, especially once Popeye shows up, for several years. There's a lot of darker, more adult aspects to it. I love um, I love this era of just, like, the beginning of, like, comics and cartooning and before the code yeah. kind of came in because well, it's just so such let's, a let's weird explain raw that. creativity in, in the early in the 20s like it was a very uh not maybe not what you call progressive but people were talking about sex more they were doing uh and you could do violence in stories and then in the early 30s that continued and then around i think it was 1934 that sounds about right yeah in the 30s america sort of turned to a more conservative general outlook and people were up in arms about um, how movies were dark with sexual elements or violence. And they, they ended up, the film industry had to impose a self-censorship code that would cut things like that. And so pre-code, the 1930s movies and animated cartoons are very different. For instance, King Kong, when it got released in, later in the 30s, they had to cut the scenes with King Kong biting people to death. They had oh to cut, cut the scenes with him stomping people to death cut some of the blood they cut the scene where he pulls off andero's clothes they cut that scene um and this was actually lost for the movie up until like the 70s or 80s i didn't know that i know um like betty boops before uh the code betty Boop, all the, like... the 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 drug references <laughs> the and drugs the... and like she was always losing her clothes oh, and yeah, yeah and then well, eventually... i think i think right th- that progressed up until they did the third cab from what i understand they did the fir- third cab calloway short where it's the old man on the mountain which yeah. is a song about the old man on the mountain teaching you how to do drugs is what the <laughs> song is about and there's this great bit well there's a few bits that are really pushing it the scene where uh betty boops for like half a second jumps out of her clothes and we see her in bra and yeah. panties but but there's the great bit where she says it's like i forget exactly how it goes it's like what you gonna do now? And Cab Calloway, a black musician, says in the most sensual voice possible, <laughs> "Baby, I'm gonna do the best I can." And and white ass people in the 30s were up in arms about it. Oh, After, man, that was that's one of my favorite moments. It's in great. Any it's ever. great. But and then at he the just time, goes like this... the the black musician getting that sensual about the white heroine, people people threw fits about it, and they had to tone them down after that. Yeah, that does seem like about the right time when you saw the change, and she just gradually got more and more like, uh, better for the ma- for kids, well, really. This, this also happened with Popeye, where early in the comics, as we'll see, he's a very out there adult character, and yeah. then around 1935, they they had to make him more restrained. But interestingly, the Popeye animated cartoons did not seem to be affected by the film code in any way. They're just as violent in 1934 and 1935 and 1936 as they were in 1933 and 1930. Yeah, well, 1933. I wonder if, like, that kind of violence wasn't so cracked down on as, like, the sexuality and, like... Yeah, and that was that was the thing. It's, it's, it's... The cartoons did not generally play olive oil very sexually. <laughs> no, um, that's true. There, there is, I say, that there is a short where olive oil is sleepwalking very briefly she sleepwalks in front of the moon and we see her silhouette through her dress oh la la 
The biggest change in the Popeye cartoons is honestly when Jack Mercer took over the role. The original Popeye voice actor, who's the one I do an impression of, he's really almost kind of angry and upset about things. And then Jack Mercer, who I can't quite do, he's very happy-go-lucky, jolly, sing-songy. And that was honestly a bigger change in the character than any of censorship stuff. I really love the early cartoons where the voice is almost like a mumble. Like, you can barely... Well, well yeah, so Billy Costello... Popeye, you know, he famously talks like this, because... That was how Jack Mercer did it, but the original guy, Billy Costello, he's, he's absolutely incomprehensible. <laughs> and you can't understand a word he's saying. Yeah, that one's actually my absolute favorite. Oh, like, the one you're talking I mean, about was good, too, but that comic one... comic strip version of the character a lot better. Of course, Jack Mercer was a much better improv artist. I think if Jack Mercer was around today, he'd be considered one of the top improv comedians because that's the other thing i i know we're getting off track from the comic a little bit but the reason steamboat willie was considered so innovative for having synchronized sound is that the sound recording technology was so limited in the 20s and very early 30s that you couldn't really edit sound effects and music and dialogue together so for for the early sound cartoons you'd have to record the dialogue sound effects and music together in one take after the animation yeah, and you can definitely, like, it seems like voices really suffered in the early ones. Like, it's very clear. Oh, and clear Steamboat Willie, you can't understand. That's why they went so musical and why a lot of early sound cartoons are basically music videos. It's yeah. Because you couldn't understand the friggin' dialogue. Um, but yeah. Fleischer Brothers kept doing that long after other studios like Disney stopped, which is why the Carpapa cartoons had all those great improvs. It's because they're recording the dialogue in one take. So he, yeah, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right, so let's get back to this comic. Cool. So, um, so the crooks jump off the cliff to their gruesome deaths. Um, the ghost lady kidnaps Caster and takes her to Mister Fadewell, and they're hanging out in his apartment for a while. And they're like, "Bernice will never leave you, so <laughs> we'll just keep you here." And Caster's trying to figure out what's going on. Eventually, he overhears, and we find out the secret of Bernice, which is that if you rub the hairs on a wiffle hen's head, you'll get good luck. And Mr. Fadewell is king of Dice Island off the coast of Africa. And Dice so he, he can basically become even, like, stack the house even more against the, the gamblers by having this magic good luck. Um, Caster, he, he has a... The thing about Caster, he's sort of a contradictory character. I think by he's very complex by virtue of being inconsistently written. Yeah, he, he's he a is complete buffoon, and yet he's kind of clever. He's very greedy, and yet he's also charitable. It's, it's interesting. So he has this clever scheme to get away. He gets Mr. Fadewell to pay him ten grand to just stay here and not bother it. And then tells the bodyguard, who's... By the way, this bodyguard, he's great. Look at that. I love him, guy. man. Um, <laughs> he's a very... He's not Bluto, Kester but he's throws, Bluto-type. Kester throws a stool at his head, and it hits his head. And he says, Don't do that again! You might miss me and break something! <laughs> brilliant i love a big like tough guy character oh yeah well there's a lot of these big tough guy characters in popeye popeye is sort of a big predecessor of shonen action manga in that it was the start of the trope of the hero fighting progressively tougher enemies which went on for several years until they basically ran out of the cigar ran out of the ability to come up with tougher looking enemies yeah you can only draw a big giant guy so many times i guess well, well we'll see how that progresses over the course of this um, so Caster, he gets Fadewell to pay him and then tells the bodyguard he's been paid so he doesn't have to worry. And the body's like, I'll check that with Mr. Fadewell. And Caster uses that time to escape. 
January 10th, 1929, he gets home. He tells his family he's planning to buy a boat with the 10 grand he was paid, go to Dice Island and break the bank. He and Ham are going to go out on this. They they buy a ship. The, over the next few days, they buy a ship. The good Tom Cod as the we owner. We start to see some uh, olive oil here, which is really yes. nice. Well, olive, olive oil is a great character. In the cartoon, she was mostly characterized as very fickle. Uh, but in the yeah. comics, she, she's more of a badass. She doesn't give two craps what people think about her or what she wants. If Olive Oil wants something, Olive Oil is going to get that thing, and you better not get in her way. And that's cool for the time, too, I it's, guess, It's right? very progressive. I would be very interested in some theorists doing a feminist reading on Olive Oil. She's a very... We'll, we'll see more of her. They, they buy the ship, which, as the previous owner says, there's not a hole in the ship except in the bottom where they don't show. <laughs> they, they buy their supplies. They buy um, uh, 1,000 cans of beans, three dill pickles, and a cake of soap. <laughs> a single cake of soap. And, uh, well, I mean, they're sailors. They don't have to bathe. Um, That's a good point. And they, olive oil wants to tag along is what's happening. They're like, this ain't, the sea ain't no place for women. So they, they sent her out to buy a dime's worth of longitude to get rid of her. <laughs> the store keeps keep tossing her off to the next one, yeah, too. They're yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah, well, I don't have any longitude right now, but you can get some. Uh, yeah. That guy over there has some. And then finally, and, and it's interesting, the day this happened, Seagar uh, had a bad cold. And he almost didn't go into work the day he had to come up with this new character. Really? And so who, literally, now I gotta have a side note here. Popeye is the inspiration for Superman. Superman's creators have said in interviews that a big part of what they wanted to do in the, with the character was take the fights in the Popeye animated cartoons and do them seriously. Wow, I never knew he, that. He was the major influence for Pac-Man. Where do you think Pac-Man eating something to get stronger comes from? He was a major influence for Super Mario. Donkey Kong was originally going to be a Popeye game. He was the major influence for Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball, and Goku in particular, is very heavily based on this comic. Imagine a world in which Popeye had never come to be, in which none of these things ever influenced by Popeye or anything influenced by those ever came to be. It would be completely different. Our media landscape would literally be different had Seagar not decided not to go into work because he had the cold. And didn't design this little pie. It was very exciting to see Popeye show up on this page. Too. January 17th, 1929, Kester turns to Ham and says, You'll find the scum of the earth right here in this port. So we got to be careful in picking our crew. Hey there, you a sailor? <laughs> and we, we see this guy with a sailor cap with one eye with a corncob pipe with a sailor's necktie with rolled up sleeves revealing his anchor tattoos. And he says, Jeff Link, I'm a cowboy. And Kester says, okay, you're hired. And that is the start of it all. And then, yeah, it gets Popeye heavy right away, which yeah. is great. Well, so what happens is they have this lengthy, it goes on for several weeks, sea voyage. And over the course of the sea voyage, Popeye basically invents himself. He, he really, this was not a planned out character. He just starts doing things that suggest a compelling personality. It, it starts out, they have some jokes like, oh, Caster's only paying him for one man, but it's basically a 12-man cruise ship. I still claim that if I'm to do the work of 12 men, I gotta get the pay of 12 men. What you hopping about all the time for? I'll explain once more. I'm giving you the privilege of being the whole crew. You, 12 men, but on payday, you're only one man. What's right is right. You know that. Gosh, Popeye, don't be so dumb. Uh, you can sweep me down a scupper if I can dope that out. 
<laughs> oh, no, this is a great bit. What's wrong with cotton oil, mate? Smarter, cotton. I'm worried about you, Papa. Yeah, worried something awful. Wearing about the old poppery will blow me down, Captain. You've touched me soft spot. You got a hot cotton oil, I can see that. I'm worried about your slumber. You gotta look after things during the day while I rest up, and you gotta take the wheel at night so I can get some sleep. <sighs> if I wasn't so kind-hearted, I wouldn't be worrying like this. <laughs> and uh, then, then we have the big reveal that olive oil has snuck aboard. And and it's very interesting that she does not get along well with this sailor. Not at all at first. She's disgusted by him almost. We start getting some jokes about Popeye's appearance. And it's interesting, his first original design is very detailed. And over the course of this story, it starts to get simplified just because he's drawing it so much. Originally, he had a very small chin, very big tomato nose that got more and more tomato-esque as the story goes on. Yeah. And his, his forearms were not quite so pronounced, but there's this great gag where they're like, Papa, you, 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 your pants are slapped down. Pull them up. And he pulls up his pants and we see his terrible wobbly knees and his <laughs> various hairs and his horrific socks. I love those socks. Oh, the socks are great. <laughs> oh, and then, okay, we get some more great olive oil. It's like, so your brother sent you to get it by your time's worth of longitude? Jerry did. Say, don't you know what longitude is? Longitude is the distance east or west on the oist surface measured by the angle which the meridian through a place makes with some standard meridian. Hey, send me for a dime's worth of that! And she socks Caster in the face. He's like, hey, you can't sock the captain. That's mutiny. Gee, you're dumb. I love that the, the sock in the face, the sound effect is actually sock. Oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, the sound effects in this is great. The next week, we start to find out, Caster decides to try out the good luck. So he, he gambles Popeye and takes all of Popeye's wages away. It's great. And this is where Seagar starts to realize that Popeye's dialogue is absolutely hysterical. Yeah. Morning, Popeye. Like, Ham's like, morning, Popeye. How much you make a week? I'm working for nothing, mate. Blow me down if I ain't. What, you mean Caster isn't paying you? Oh, sure, he pays me. He hands over me wages. Then he pulls out a paradise and takes it away from me. As man to man, I'm asking you, is that justice? It's so cool how he gives Popeye such a distinct voice in comparison to his other characters. Well, it starts out right up front where he doesn't say, you think I'm a cowboy. He says, just think I'm a cowboy. He's got that sailor slang. Like, it was almost as if as soon as he invented him, it was just right in his head how he wanted him to talk. And it's very distinct. It's great. He does have a little bit like that Meridian talk. He is a little too intellectual in this early story. I kind of found the contrast to that really funny in that Meridian one. Just like, he is super knowledgeable about sailing. Yeah. yeah he should have the, the actual definition memorized. Basically, he ends up, he, he then ends up starting to rub Bernice's head himself so he can win the money back. And they start getting really suspicious. It's it's great. And this is where, actually, so Popeye originally has a white shirt, which, with blue jeans, and the comic strip comes out as just white. The whole thing's white. And Seagar decided he needed more contrast. So we, but how do you explain Popeye gets a different shirt in the middle of the ocean? So they're like, Popeye, <laughs> I want the truth. Have you been rubbing Benice's head for luck? How do you like me new short, Captain? Ain't she hot, Captain? <laughs> Don't try to change the subject. Answer the question. Only two bucks. Bargain what? All will too. Blow me down if it ain't. He says a lot of blow me down. This is his I noticed, catchphrase? Like, 
Um, and it's, it's interesting because he stopped. Yeah. He stopped saying that was his catchphrase. He stopped saying it after a couple times, a couple years, because it just got kind of old. And the cartoons only used it a little bit, but it was so famous that Popeye said, "Blow heat me down to today." To this day, people years after he stopped saying it will recognize it as something that Popeye says. Yeah, because it well, it was almost like I think there's a period here where like almost every second uh, comic strip he said it, and it was a well, we'll 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 get to that. That's starting here. Um, and there's this great bit where he's like, Popeye, you're such a liar. Listen, you can quit any time. You yeah, get the heck out of there. You just watch your step and do as I say, or you can walk home. Why do you think that was a buggy ride? <laughs> so they get more and more upset at Popeye. And finally, Ham says, I'm going to teach this guy some manners. So he goes up to Popeye to punch him. So Popeye just socks him in the chin. And it's not necessarily a particularly strong punch. But it's the start of it. And, and of course, Ham's like, uh, that's just what I thought, a low-down roughneck like you. I won't dare fight you, you coward. Did you say that Ham is Olive Oil's boyfriend? Ham is Olive Oil's boyfriend. Once Popeye became prominent and he was written out pretty quickly. In fact, he is such a non-character with no distinct personality. Right? That they write him out by just stopping to mention him for a few months and the audience <laughs> forgot who he was. That totally makes sense because he was such like I didn't I thought maybe he was another brother or something no, when I was reading no, I didn't catch all, that he was he's a boyfriend. All boyfriend and Caster's ham and he's just a non-character. They just don't have the chemistry she has with Popeye because he doesn't have a personality. <laughs> but here's the thing: if you watch the Robin Williams Popeye movie, which I have, it's excellent. Ham <laughs> gravy is in that movie. Yeah, he's the guy chasing his hat at the beginning. Um, he's not mentioned by name once. The only reason you would know who he is is because he's in the credits. And he's yeah. played by a somewhat known at the time comedic actor. He's like a bit part. He's played by a known comedic actor. So weird. That movie was so, so weird. Once we get, which will be a long time from now, to the stories that movie is adapting from this comic, we're going to talk about that movie. Oh, I would love to do that. Because that movie is more based on the comics, hence the extended oil family, hence... Uh, some other things. I love the setting in it, like the the scene. It was beautiful. They built the town. That they built that. There are no sets. The interiors are the insides of the actual buildings. They built it at Malta, and it's still there. You oh my can God. go to Palta, Popeye Village in Malta. They got like actors <laughs> dressed up as the characters. You're kidding. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Well, it's it was part of that seventies thing where after Easy Rider came out, which was sort of this indie film that made millions of dollars. Hollywood decided that the way to make popular movies for the 70s would be to take small-time indie directors and suddenly give them multi-million dollar budgets and see what they did with it. And a lot of times it didn't turn out very well because um, you get things... Popeye movies is great, but you get things like that where they would just spend like millions of dollars on the set. Or or like the Popeye movie, they would spend like all day to shoot like two slapstick insert shots that took hours to set up. Oh, it was so, it was, I'm excited to talk about that sometime and rewatch it, yeah. We'll get into the movie. So anyway, finally they were like, we're gonna put you in irons, Popeye, we're not putting up with it. And he's like, if you put me in irons, who's gonna do all the hard work? Gee, that's so, <laughs> well, we'll let you off this time. <laughs> After this few weeks, we get to Dice Island. They find all these millionaires who've gone bankrupt and can't even afford a, afford a boat right home. They go up. And Castor goes in, and he's trying, he's like, I don't want to try my luck all right away, so I'll do a small game. But this is like a millionaire's <laughs> gambling paradise. So he finds a plate where they're like, 
shoot a half. And it's like, all right, I'll shoot 75 cents. And they're like, <laughs> a half a million, you idiot. Yeah, and there's like a page or so of him trying to... Well, finally, finally, they get one of their housemen to be like, all right, just get rid of this guy. Um, so Caster starts winning with starting with 25 cents. He starts winning and he gets more. And so this is when Seagar really gets enamored with Popeye's dialogue and he'll just come up with something for Popeye to say. And it's the funniest thing. And he'll say it for like three or four days until it gets old. And then he'll say something even funnier. So we get like, blow me down. This is hard work. Hey, Cat Moya, we're all in from carrying money. Ain't you never satisfied? <laughs> and he goes on and on about, he's never gonna get satisfied, I can see that. <laughs> Finally, it goes on, and, and like the, the guy who's running this, uh, Mr. Snork, which is interesting because there was a Hanna-Barbera cartoon in the 80s called The Snorks, which oh, was right. sort of like the Smurfs, but underwater. Yeah, that was a weird one. I remember catching that on Boomerang. So... I don't think it's based on this comic, but that would not be unprecedented. The Popeye comic popularized the term goon, and Jeep, the car, gets the name from a Popeye character. You're kidding. That's cool. Goon was like a term, but there was a Popeye character called Alice the Goon who was very popular, and, or at least very well known. And the original meaning of calling somebody a goon was to say they looked like Alice the Goon from Popeye. Oh my god, I love that. Yeah. I love Goon. Goon is an excellent word, and I feel very grateful to Popeye for You will for find it. Alice the Goon very interesting when we get to her. That's a few years away. So, uh, Mr. Snork, he's like, oh my gosh, we're losing money. He goes to the other gamblers to try to get him to help him kick the guy out. And they're like, nah, you've been scamming us out of our money for years. This guy's gonna break the bank. And finally, uh, Caster breaks the bank. And he's like, some of your games are straight, and I happen to know that's semi-crooked. You've wrecked many a millionaire. Your victims lined the beaches with not enough money to go home. And now, Mr. Manager of the Great Dice Island House of Chance, let me give you some advice. Gambling does not pay. Adios. It's great. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Good little speech. Well, then there's the issue that they can't fit all of the gold money into the boat. So um, they start having to toss some of it, o the rowboat, to get back to the ship. They have to toss some of it over the side, and this is a great bit. There's one... Oh, three million that'll never be spent. Blow me down and my wages is only 25 a week. <laughs> but this is when the drama really gets going. Mr. Fadewell gets there, and he's not too happy that the bank is broken and Gaster Oil got away with everything. So he tells Mr. Snork to sneak aboard their ship and do whatever it takes to secure the money. I really like Snark. He's very, like, he's a good villain. He's sneaky and he's... Well, he's he's a lot of... The two main Popeye villains are Snidely Whiplash-esque mustache twirlers and Bluto-style tough guys. Those are like, yeah, definitely they're my favorite villain types. So this is excellent. He's he's great. He's Snark has a great I mean, design. I am more of a Bluto fan. I'm not going to lie. I got a thing about Bluto. Bluto but... is only in one story in the comics, and it's my favorite one. And he's very different than how he's portrayed in the cartoons. He's actually a very serious threat. Really? Yes. That's going to be cool to see. Well, what happened was they wanted one villain for the cartoons. So Seagar had his assistants bring him every villain they'd had up to that point, And then he combined them. Oh. Bluto is like an amalgamation of all these designs. Oh, cool. So, Mr. Snork gets aboard the ship and convinces them that Mr. Fadewell uh, was going to get was gonna do something horrible to him and I had to get away. And they completely buy it. 
except Popeye. Popeye takes one. He's never met Snork. And he's still, Popeye takes know. one look at him, runs up to him, and sacks him on the jaw. And everyone's like, what the heck are you doing? And he's like, what are you, what are you sacking for? I don't like his looks. <laughs> and, and he just keeps punching him. And they're like, Popeye, what are you doing? And this is where Popeye starts to become violent. And then Popeye notices Mr. Fadewell's boat following them. And he's like, just standing there looking out on the bow of the ship. And he's like, blow me down. I got a feeling something terrible's gonna happen. And it's written in that. Co- I love the like. Oh, it, they it they really use spooky. an appropriate like terrible type fonts <laughs> to have that. Well, this is back when they hand lettered stuff, so you could do like crazy um, fonts and things. I really dig uh, hand lettering. I think it looks cool. I mean, I understand absolutely why they do not do it anymore. Um, it sounds very painstaking. Oh yeah, and uh, it's hard to keep it readable. Popeye, it's your fault. You've got us believing the things are not as they should be. We're all jumpy. I knows what I knows. I mm-hmm. smell something and I'm warning you. Something terrible is gonna happen. Listen, you shipwreck. You're the cause of us suffering like this. Now, if something terrible doesn't happen, we'll feed you to the fish. Well, blow me down, my boozy, <laughs> the way. <laughs> and then he just keeps following me a couple more punches on that guy. Yeah, well, he finally, Snork gets sick of it. And this is where you really build the tension in the Daily Comic Show. Snork gets a gun. And he starts crawling and sneaking up to Popeye. Day after day, he gets a little closer. And then he's like, ah, shit, my shoes are squeaky. I gotta, I gotta oil them. So he has to go back and oil his shoes. Yeah, because they, re- they do like a few dialogue like to keep the story moving with the other characters, but then just show you him sneaking. It is a really good way of building tension. Build the tension, build the tension, build the tension. Because that must have been a period of a week or so, waiting to figure out what's going to happen. It's one, two, three, four, five, six days before he gets to Popeye. Yeah. Finally on the sixth day, he gets closer, closer, closer. Turn around! I wouldn't shoot a talk in the back! Popeye, your time has come. You see now that it doesn't pay to interfere with my plans or suck me around the way you've been doing. I say turn around! I won't shoot you in the back. Well, blow me down. In that case, I won't move. (laughs) That one's great. I love that line. It's really good. So Bernie jumps on top of Snork and and they're like struggling. Then Snork gets away and he's like, hands up! He points the gun with him. And Popeye's like, yes, sir! And he socks him on the nose. And both hands pushes him away. Snork takes a shot. Cut to for the next several days, the other characters being absolutely terrified about what's happening with the shot. And then there's another shot and another shot. It goes on for over a week. More and more shots ring out. Another week it goes on. And finally, he's like aiming at Popeye. Bernie's jumps on the gun. Blow me down that point. Save me life twice. As Popeye's got visible bullet wounds in him. Like, they've drawn holes in Popeye from the bullets. <laughs> He's been shot again and again. Yeah. Popeye is socks snork yet again. He shoots Popeye. Popeye struggles. And he falls. And Mr. Snork walks up and he's all, like, his pristine suit is all screwed up. And he walks up and gets like, Mr. Snork, what does this mean? Where's Popeye? I shot him. And then they they have to wait the night before Mr. Fadewell's ship can pull up. And over the night, they hear these terrible ghostly noises. (laughs) 
and they're absolutely terrified uh, about Popeye's ghost. Cut to several days later, they're building the tension, building the tension. Popeye is rubbing Bernice de Wolfelhen's head. He's alive. He's fallen into the deck of the ship. He's got bullet holes in him. And he's rubbing Bernice's head to give him enough good luck to survive being shot. That is amazing. Like, the Wiffelhen is super lucky. And this is the thing. Some people, there's been misinformation out there that before the spinach, Popeye got his strength from Bernice. And that's not really the case at all. He used Bernice to survive not getting shot. But there's nothing to suggest he isn't really strong up to this point. Well, because here's what happens. Finally, Popeye... Well, they're fighting Snork. Caster gets a gun and he goes to shoot it. Snork's like choking out all of... Caster gets a gun. He, he sneaks up behind Snork. He fires the gun. He doesn't have any bullets in the gun. He's running in fear like, Just wait till I get some bullets! <laughs> and uh, and then finally they, they, they lose. And Snork's like, I'm going to shoot you. And then Popeye sneaks up. And he's sneaking up. And then he's like, Popeye, I thought you were shot. Well, what do you think these is? Buttonholes? <laughs> and now, Snorky, just as soon as I rub the whiffle for luck, I'll take you on. I can't, you can't be alive. I shot you 15 times. Bang. 16. Couple more bullets or less ain't gonna stop me now, Snork. I'm after your neck. Punches Snork. And he knocks him out pretty quickly. And so essentially, Popeye gets his super strength from it being narratively satisfying for him to be very strong. They've built this up for so many weeks and weeks and months and months. You just want to see Popeye sock that guy in the jaw. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's punched him before and not had that much of an effect on him. But finally, something kind of... Yeah. All the bullet holes in him are are, uh, something, too. And then Fadewell gets aboard and Popeye just knocks him out. And he's like, how about bringing him to to knock him out again? I ain't quite satisfied. <laughs> so they um, they kick him off the boat, and uh, but then Popeye's luck has run out. Uh, what I need is three doctors, not three cheers. Oh, too late, too late, nothing will help me now. I lost too much red ink, blow me down, I'm cooked. <laughs> they're, they're like trying to help him, and he's like, nah, that's lovely. I lived on a deck and I'll die on a deck. So Caster, he's like, now nah, I'll do an operation. And he gets some saws. And Popeye gets <laughs> up and starts chasing him to punch him. So, <laughs> so you'd think, Popeye's going to die. How on earth is Seagar going to write himself out of this one? Oh, see, Popeye just wakes up the next morning and is completely fine. He just feels great. I never felt better in my life. It takes more than 16 bullets to sink old Popeye. Uh, it's great. It's like, like, how else would you write yourself out of that? Oh, he just wakes no. up. He feels fine. And that, Papa Caster returns home. Finally, for the first time in his life, one of his get-rich-quick schemes has worked out. He's a millionaire. And that's the end of the story. And that's it, yeah. So so what did you think of this? I really, I enjoyed it a lot. When I first started, it, like, I thought the Wiffle Hen was cool, like, that first chapter. But I wasn't, I was a lot happier once it started to get into plot line. Cause I when I, when I reread this, this was better than I remember it being. Yeah. Volume two is when it starts to get really good of the reprints. This is, this is the start of volume one. It really starts out with a lot of old jokes told in an unoriginal manner over and over again. The story part, once the story actually starts, is a lot better than I remember it. 
Yeah, I especially like like once they get onto the boat is where. Well, I guess once Popeye shows up, must be where it kind of starts hitting me the most. The stuff with Castor, like they're gonna kill him. Like we haven't really didn't go into much detail on that, but they really build up the tension with that quite successfully. But here with Popeye, um, when he shows up, it's just great. Uh, he's really like the first really good thing in the comic. And uh, it's almost like the character balance is better than two. Um, I find with the focus on Caster and just like people coming after him, I don't know, maybe I just didn't have enough of, I didn't care about him enough. Yeah, it, Caster is interesting. He, the dynamic between Popeye and Caster really goes on, because Caster is the star of the comic at this point, and he has been for quite a while, and he stays the star for a good while after this. Popeye is like shockingly good. He, his dialogue is hysterical. Um, he's got a compelling personality. It's it's really like, and it's lightning in a bottle. This is, he, like I said, he didn't create, he wasn't created. They didn't set out to create this character. He just sort of on that boat ride developed. Yeah, you can tell once he, the artist hit on, he knew that it was something to stick with. Because the personality just kind of comes right out of Popeye. Well, in the next story, we'll see they try to write Popeye out. with Even then, it's like clearly written where they're like considering whether to bring him back or not at that time. And they bring him back quick, pretty quickly after that. Because uh, there had been characters like this up to this point in the comic. And they were just one-time bit characters. There were a lot of one-time bit characters in this comic. But Popeye was a little something special. So before these ones, you were saying it was just more like one-off, like it was. There would be just... an, a, an ex, a theme for gags for two weeks. Okay, but it wasn't like a plot line. No, it would just be like, oh, Caster's a boxing manager, and you'd have two weeks of jokes of Caster being a boxing manager, and then you move on to the next thing. Did Olive and the rest of the family have much of a... Well, they were the main characters. Event? It was Caster, Olive, and Ham, and then their par- Olive's parents, Nana and Cole Oil, and that was the cast, and you'd have bit characters outside of that. Cool. The other thing about this story is that it has very odd structure. Like we were saying at the beginning, it's very rambly. It, it sort of goes off in weird directions. Even Yeah, each chapter to the next can be very different in tone. Like that first chapter, like mm. we were saying, was very, like, just all the gags about the Wiffle Hen. And yeah. then, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't read like a planned out story, no. but it still reads like a... A story. Yeah, and like I think what he had planned out initially, he was just going to do the gags for for Bernice. He came up with the idea of doing this plot where, where he, ha- I think he had like Dice Island and these crooks, and and that figured out. But I think very much this is a story he was making up as he went along. I think that'd be so in- like I'm interested in drawing comics, and I think it'd be such an interesting way to gradually develop a plot line. I like mean, that. it worked for Dragon Ball, where in Dragon Ball they would just write themselves into a corner each, like how on earth is the hero gonna get out of this one? And then you he drew the next issue, and he'd be like, how on earth am I gonna get him out of this one? <laughs> the other thing, when I reread the story recently, I was struck by how similar the storytelling style is to Dragon Ball. The way the narrative is progressed and story ideas are introduced are very, it's very clear influence, um, which will become more clear as we learn more about Popeye. I described the original version of Popeye, which is what became so popular, this initial seed, as Kid Goku crossed with Rocky Balboa. <laughs> Um, if that makes sense, where he's like this fucked up older dude. He's 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 like not very smart. He doesn't have the greatest grasp on English, and he he he's had sort of this hard life. 
but he's got such a heart of gold. But then you've got Kid Goku, dumb as a sack of bricks, wide-eyed, innocent kid, strongest man in the world, will defeat major villains just because he happened to run into them. And they're like, it's completely surprising that this kid could beat them. It's those two characters. Yeah, no, I can totally see that. That makes We'll, we'll see sense. that more as we start going on on Papa in the next story. The next story, I think, is even longer and more rambly. because it's st- And it's very interesting to compare because later on, the stories would get very compact, very straight and to the point. And I kind of miss the style where they'll really take their time and they'll really build things and explore different avenues of the story. Yeah, does the Wiffle Hen come back? The Wiffle, the Wiffle Hen, Hen stays in the comic for a while, but she has nothing nice. to do. So it'll just be every few days she's in the corner of the panel saying Wiffle. And eventually Seagar <laughs> just realizes there's no point to keeping her around and writes her out. And they wrote her out just like him. They just stopped mentioning her and the audience forgot who she was. You can do that in a daily comic. They do things like that a lot. They'll also like redo stories. Because it's like how on earth? Nobody remembers a story from like five years ago. It doesn't matter if you do it again. Oh, yeah, and, like, jokes, and you can redo a lot of stuff. Um, Later, they would sort of redo Bernice when they had Eugene the Jeep, which is uh, what I said what the car is named after. A Jeep is a small yellow dog thing with a clown nose that has a fifth-dimensional brain that lets it answer any question. Holy shit. It can't talk, but it can sort of indicate yes or no. And, um, yeah, so this is, if you've ever wondered why in the Popeye movie they have a plot about Popeye's baby being a psychic and Wimpy using him for the horse races. Oh, yeah. It's because that was gonna be Eugene the Jeep and it was based on Eugene's first story. And they, they realized that there was no way to keep in budget to do Eugene the Jeep. The movie is like fairly realistic looking. So it's like. Uh, they didn't f- think they could, like, do, like, some really super realistic animatronic. It would cost, like, too much. So they that combined would've... it with a Sweet Pea plot. The movie is based off of two stories. The first Eugene the Jeep story with the horse racing. And then the second Eugene the Jeep story where Popeye's just like, Say, Eugene, this me Pappy alive? And he's like, yes. And he's like, where is he? And he points and they go find his father. Which it is interesting. And Pappy is an interesting character. We'll get into that more when he shows up. But basically, like I said, around 1935, they had Popeye toned down. He couldn't be as violent. He couldn't go around punching people for no reason. He, he had to be more respectable and so forth. Yeah, that takes a... Do you feel like that takes a lot of work Absolutely. Popeye immediately became the least interesting character in his own comic. Fortunately, by that point, the supporting cast and the writing quality had increased so much. That it's still very enjoyable. It's a weird trade-off with those kind of things. Like, I found the same with Betty Boop going from pre to post-code. Yeah, where, just... where the animation quality gets better and they get more sophisticated, but there's just something missing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the surrealist quality is completely gone. Well, yeah, and that the early Popeye shirts were also very surrealist. Uh, the usual, in the cartoons, the usual Popeye animated gag was Popeye punches something so hard it turns into something else. <laughs> yes, I love those. It's interesting. So you may have noticed from this, talking to the audience, that the Popeye comics are very different from the cartoons. The cartoons are, are well, and Popeye was one of the first cartoon comic strip characters to be adapted to animation, which is how popular he was. Usually, it was the other way around. And is it his first appearance wasn't a Betty Boop cartoon, wasn't it? Yeah, they essentially did a pilot where it was Betty Boop cartoon, but it's like stock footage of Betty Boop. It's actually stock footage of Betty Boop from the cartoon where she's topless hula dancing. Yes. Where the lay <laughs> is the only thing covering her breasts. 
Yes. And the cartoon is great because Popeye goes up to hula dance with her, but he doesn't have like the, the skirt, the grass skirt. So he takes the beard off a bearded lady and uses it as a skirt. So the point about Pappy is that Pappy was introduced as a scheme to introduce another character who would be a sailor, who would look almost exactly the same as Popeye, except he, rather than having to be respectable, he'd just be awful. Oh, excellent. I can't understate what a bastard Pappy is. Oh, I'm really there's, excited. There's a story, I forget exactly what happens, where Pappy, he like steals all of Popeye's money, and then on his way out of town, this young woman happens to stop him and ask if he's okay, so he punches her. And he gets arrested, <laughs> and he's he's prosecuted, and there's this great, it's a hilarious uh, trial, because uh, Pappy doesn't know how the court works. And there's like a great part where his lawyer forgets uh, forgets he's supposed to be defending him and starts insulting him on his stand. Like, look at this face, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Have you ever seen like, such a monstrous, evil face? You're supposed to be defending me, you idiot! <laughs> oh, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, would you look at this face one more time? Reminds me of Lincoln. <laughs> Which is really weird, because in the Popeye movie, there's a line... Where Popeye says, you ain't me funny. Me funny was kind and tall and handsome and looked like Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> and I think it's a reference to this joke from the comic, which is I bet weird. It is. Uh, but anyway, Pappy gets convicted and he gets sent to prison and then he's just not in the comic for several months. Oh. It's great. Well, anyway, thank you very much uh, for joining me on this. Oh, yeah, this was a blast. Uh, we're going to, I'm not sure when the next episode will come out, but this will... The next story, uh, there's sort of a mini arc about the money, and then Caster decides to invest the money. Oh. And th that that goes about as well as you would expect, given Caster Oil's track record. <laughs> uh, up to this point, this is like the first time after years of trying, decade, a decade of trying to get rich quick schemes. This is the first time it actually worked. And oh, I didn't realize that. So a lot of, that is a lot of his personality no, already like, is get rich. Quick. Yeah, that was it would be like, oh, I'm going to be a boxing manager. Oh, I'm going to do this or that. And they would never pan out. And then this is that really makes it a lot more impactful. Yeah, when well, he finally came like, home. Like, finally, the... Yeah, he wins. He wins. Finally. It's, it's very interesting. Well, thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Great.